Turns out he's a major cinephile. They don't watch enough movies! It's a very simple formula! And here we go. Howdy hey and welcome to Nick Knack Goes to the Movies where we take you to the pop culture equivalent of the candy shop and keep going till we hit the spot. Shout out 50 Cent, one of the two hip-hop icons I grew up with, the other being Snoop Dogg. But today's episode is not about films like Soul Plane or the video game series 50 Cent Blood on the Sand. The sweet treat this week is a dive into one of the scarier horror movies I saw maybe two years ago for the first time. Candyman was another early 90s horror film, but where Scream, Halloween, and Friday the 13th called to me, this one never really sunk its hook in and reeled me in. But when I finally took the plunge, I remember being both unnerved, scared, and honestly really pleased with the movie. Candyman was something super different that was such a good balance of a tense setting, build up, and something really good with a a little blend of gore and scares. Or at least that's how I remember it. Like Joker, this was a movie I was happy I saw, but never felt like I had to go back to it. On second watch through, I was still having conflicting feelings on the Joker, maybe a few weeks back at the latest, but With the reboot sequel for Candyman coming out in theaters to close out the summer of scares, I knew I had to do it, especially with Fear the Walking Dead's Coleman Domingo and Aquaman's Yahya Abdul-Martin II, so come take another spooky trip with me to get the latest theatrical taste of terror with The Candy Men. Starting off with the 1992 film that kicked off the franchise, so for the first important refresher, Who was in the first of these in case we really need to know some stuff for the sequel? Well, most importantly, Tony Todd, the face and voice of the franchise. If you haven't seen these, but you have seen the Final Destination franchise, you know just how good he is in these more menacing roles that really need that gravitas in their voice. He was also the voice of Zoom in the Flash show, which I just figured out. Before, things got a bit goofier. That show really took an interesting turn on the CW. And of course, I enjoyed his brief stint in Season 3 of Scream, the TV series. I am hoping we get some more of that in the future with the movie coming very shortly at the start of 2022. But, only time can tell. I can't say I know a whole lot about Virginia Madsen outside of this franchise. Same with Vanessa Estelle Williams. Although we did talk about her in last week's joint all about the American Horror Story spinoff, American Horror Stories. I think the biggest surprise was that I totally knew the actor playing Madsen's husband in this movie, Xander Berkeley. Of course I know this is Gregory from The Walking Dead, but he also had roles in T2, Air Force One, and of course one of those shows... I've never (laughs) known if I've actually seen or not in Nikita. I always think that it's Dollhouse, which I have for sure seen with both Eliza Dushku and Henry Lennox. Summer Glau's in there too, and honestly, I feel like she's in everything I like. But to the movie at hand and not the complete actor filmography of Summer Glau. Where to watch this movie? So all three prior films are currently on streaming services. The original is on Peacock. The second is on Prime Video, and the third is available on Hulu. So you can do a nice streaming service lap if you want to see all four films with the latest end cap in theaters. But for this episode, just a quick pit stop to Peacock. So, bugs are not my thing. I don't need them 
creature features or big spiders in my medieval high fantasy period pieces. I'll absolutely take the basilisk over Aragog in Harry Potter. So all the bees in Candyman and how it starts with a swarm of them, not for me. But that Tony Todd menacing tone of voice is insanely good. Real balance of pros and cons. So to start, if someone asked me to try some crazy ritual and said, Hey Nick, wanna say Candyman's name into the mirror five times? The legend goes if you do that, he'll show up behind you and like slit your throat and kill you. My firm answer would be absolutely not. As a fantasy football player and two-time champ ages ago in my league, I know a thing or two about odds. The situation right here is what we in the industry call a lose-lose situation. Either it's true and you die, or it's fake and nothing happens. Might as well do the nothing option. I will say, the rules make you wonder what the timeline is for saying the name five times. What is the limit or duration of time that has to pass before it resets to zero Candymans? Or if you say another word between any of those Candymans, does that also cancel out the Candyman counter? You could have some jerk go say it into every mirror they see four times, walk away. Decades later, someone could say it once and it would be game over. I'm not mocking the premise. I'm actually super curious about all the ins and outs and rules that exist here in this world. Straight up, Xander Berkeley plays the jerkiest of Walking Dead characters and is, all honesty, kind of the same here. Having just watched the entire episode of American Horror Stories about gaslighting with Billy Lord in it, this is an entire movie that semi-centers around that concept, but this is not unique to Candyman. This is actually something woven into the fabric of the entire horror genre. Think about it. Every horror movie has a character nobody believes. Crazy Ralph, the kid who says there's a monster in their closet or under their bed, and so many more. And by the end of those movies, and this one too, or even the last 30 minutes or so, everyone is a true believer in insert horror thing. The fascination of this genre continues to entice me. And there's an innate level in this entry of psychological analysis that is at the core of this movie based on our three main non-supernatural horror characters working in the field of like analysis and academia. I really do want to get into how this genre works on an academic level and how it plays with the wiring in our brains. It is just a few steps away from the whole grief, trauma, and therapy angle that I love in my slasher stories. And to double down on avoiding spooky things in everyday life, if you find out you live in a house with crazy murder things that have happened around you, and like they feel more supernatural than just your run-of-the-mill stuff, maybe get out of there, or at least ask for a crazy discount on your rent. Like any good horror movie, the fake-outs and jump scares get the job done. The ambiance horror music also gets the job done. Yes, it takes a while to get into them, but the build-up is done so well that, you know, they keep alluring to the horrors and have so many moments you just wait and expect the scares to happen and the gore. The first look at the Candyman mural on a wall as our lead Helen climbs through its mouth and sees the reveal is so good and you figure there'd be something else that happens as opposed to just more discovery. There's a lot of slow burn discovery here. This isn't the most gory slasher flick. Instead, it's much more psychological. The themes discussed and the set piece moments are for sure scary. I just can't believe it takes more than a third of the movie to get our lead to come face to face with Candyman. And Tony Todd looks and sounds so good. He may not have a hockey mask or a black robe, 
But somehow Candyman seems scarier than everyone. The bloody hook on his stump is pretty visceral in a good way. You know, maybe it's the fact that he'll never seem goofy. Now, I haven't seen two and three, so I cannot speak to those. But if you watch the first movie, I would say there's not a single thing he does that seems goofy except for maybe the power of flight. But we'll get into that. I enjoyed that, too. I forgot that this movie has a visceral dog death. Not about that at all. Will never be about that in any movie. Don't like it. Absolutely don't like it. Candyman in the parking garage, however, is pretty good. You know, he's making it seem like Helen is the killer and kind of setting her up. It feels like Candyman has this master plan, which I really like to see. You know, it's not just some killer who's killing people for the sake of it. There's a mind and intricacy working behind the facade and visage of that killer. If you have seen the modern it movies, we did an episode on them, you will first realize there is no Tim Curry. Second, you will see some Stranger Things people, and you will get the joy of Bill Hader, and James McAvoy's there too. But with the up and down nature of the movie, I mean, it might be dope if we get the six-plus-hour Muschietti cut, There are certain scenes that will scare people more than others. The spider-insect head scene, for me, not about it, as you can probably guess. But I want to draw your attention to one thing, one set piece in It, where the kids are going through an old slide projector and Pennywise comes out of it to try and get the losers. Well, that may have run because of what happened here, walked in Candyman. The inspiration feels like it was there from Candyman, which has a near similar tease before he busts through a bathroom mirror as his, you know, thing of choice is mirrors and bees and I guess razor blade candy things. And then, you know, the usual chase debauchery commences of run, 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 he's there, run, 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 he's another place, and, you know, it's just what it works. Side note, Bernadette was too good for this movie and the best friend even with her you know Helen being a possible dog murderer and child kidnapper she still comes to check on her give her flowers sadly she does not make it to be in the sequel Bernadette awesome what a shame what a shame if there are wild parts of this movie or even just one (laughs) has to be Tony Todd causing a guy to like blood geyser after popping up from behind or under his desk all in front of Helen before he frees her to let her take the blame again and like backward flies out this window is he a superhero saying is this character Candyman gonna be in that new Spider-Man movie with all the multiverses and Peter Parker's and Alfred Molina maybe what a trailer what a trailer am I right also on the notion of other wild things beside the direction of multiverses for all of our superhero franchises. Wild things in this movie, though. Why would a nurse open a window with a patient is knocking on it to get back in? you think they would call someone, like, security about that. And, of course, college professor Xander Berkeley is not only teaching a class on gaslighting you, but he's also teaching the tried-and-true media stereotypes of, is there, a, you know, a reasonable assumption that if a professor is hooking up with a co-ed? If it's like that, it probably is happening. If the setup's there, it's probably happening. It is in this scene that Virginia Madsen, sister to cinema badass in a ton of Tarantino movies, Michael Madsen, just feels like her brother with a stone-cold menacing presence on screen. I really do like her in that moment a lot in this movie. But, like, <laughs> something I don't like. Yo, 
for how about this movie I am at times. I don't need to see all these gosh darn bees. It's not the Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage. Bees coming out like there's bees coming out of this guy's rib cage and his mouth. Like don't need that many bees in all of your orifices, Candyman. I don't like it. I don't need any of it. None of it. No thank you, sir. It's another reason to not say the name five times in the you know, mirror or reflective surface. I feel like they kind of make it seem like it has to be a mirror. Sometimes it could be a like a window, but it's up and down depending on what's allowed and what's not allowed. Once again, more rule things to figure out at one point. Didn't mention a whole lot. I do like this kid, uh, Jake. You know, he's in the beginning. He's helping out Helen. She kind of semi-misleads him into the information. And I feel like he's done early. I really like him as a kid. I, I wish he was also back maybe in some regard in this movie. For a while, I was thinking, oh, maybe Coleman Domingo's playing grown-up Jake, but not to be, unfortunately. But I do like that, even though he feels like he's, you know, done up and used in the beginning, I like him at the end. He's a lot more visible in the end, even though it's only sparsely throughout the movie. This movie doesn't really have uh, horror fights. You know, it's not like Jason versus Knockoff Carrie or Jason versus Freddy or, I guess, you know, other things that Jason does. I mean, you look, but horror movie fights are pretty much a trying to staple of at least slash movies if they're supernatural maybe there's more demon exercising whatever the big conflict thing is helen does get a few moments of fighting with Candyman right in the end before ultimately succumbing to like fire burns in this big bonfire that was you know teased earlier in the movie that oh they're making a big pile for the big old bonfire I do like that moment a lot when she's crawling out and there's her hair's all on fire. It doesn't feel too goofy. It's like a little goofy, but nowhere near too goofy. It's not the goofy movie after all. But, like, she does save Anthony McCoy, who is a baby who is like, you know, I don't even know if the name was really said all that much, but you know me, IMDb Nick, I look it up and, well, spoiler for a movie. And I guess, obviously, spoilers in general, because we are talking about a movie that, like, just came out in Candyman 2021. Anthony McCoy will have a pretty big part to play in the next movie we talk about. And it's nice that Helen is, you know, goes from this part of, you know, she's the smallest funeral you've ever seen. And then, you know, this whole community comes out and, you know, remembers her at this, you know, you know, we'll say funeral air quotes for now after, you know, saving a child and seemingly getting rid of Candyman seemingly once again haven't seen two and three don't really know how those go i know virginia madsen's at least one more i know tony todd's in at least two more so i'm speaking from seeing the first and the fourth we'll get to those two and three ones when we get to the two and threes of prom night and carrie i promise we'll do that at some point it may not be the highbrow quality of a film that we'll be diving into whenever we do that episode but we will try our gosh darndest to make it something but at the end of the day, this does build some Candyman lore that I can say from experience isn't really touched on in the fourth one. But it looks like from my uneducated perspective of two and three that this movie goes the same route as 2018 Halloween saying this is related to the first one. Skip two and three. It would be really hard for the Halloweens to keep continuity after 10, 11 movies. So a lot of times they just do reboot after reboot. That's why Jamie Lee Curtis has died a couple times in that franchise. She's alive for now, though. We'll see if she makes it in the next Halloween movie coming out, which I cannot wait for in theaters in, what, a month or two, I think, at this point. But once again, back to Candyman. I do like 
even if the lore doesn't really play into the next movie, I like that this one ends in this final moment of we get some justice for Helen with Trevor. You know, he says her name in the mirror a couple times and he gets wrecked after saying his dead ex-wife's name. I'm let's say they're probably exes at this point. He says her name five times. You know, he did the crime of being a huge scumbag, so he ended up doing the time. Always have a good final scare. It's a great fun for your movie. And at the end of the day, this was a fun, scary movie that does a lot good. But just like with Joker, I really don't know if I need to rewatch the movie. I instead am going to be super appreciative of it for you know what it was. And look, I'm happy I saw the movie. I just don't need to rewatch it. You know, once a year, every two years, I'm probably really not going to feel the need to watch Candyman again unless i don't know if they start making more and more sequels maybe but i don't really see myself feeling the need to watch Candyman again but we saw Candyman one let's go to the next film also titled Candyman, coming out in you probably guessed it 2021 like i said spoilers spoilers spoiler alert aplenty for a movie that literally just came out a day ago so Spoiler alerts, you've been warned. Watch the movie, then come on back down to Nick Nack Goes to the Movies Town. So I finished the first Candyman maybe 19 minutes before I drove down to my local Cinemark to see this modern iteration. The best way to watch sequels as far as I'm concerned. I did it in my first foray back to theaters with the Quiet Place movies as well, and that was a blast. So on to the sequel, Coleman Domingo. I'm going to talk about him a lot. You may not know who he is, that's okay. He's one of the main reasons I watch this movie. And he is great every single time he's on camera, even if the end is a little confusing, especially based on his character. And I knew that, you know, coming into, before even seeing a single frame in this film, that he was going to be great. Obviously, Yahya Abdul-Martin II and Tayana Paris are both great here as well. The thing I will immediately say is if you're, you know, going to see just one of these actors... Just watch the other thing, you know, they're in. And there's a lot of things for me. It would be, you know, if I want to see Coleman Domingo, watch some Fear of the Walking Dead. If I want to see Yaya Abdul-Martin II, I'm going to go watch Aquaman and the sequel eventually, which hopefully has Randall Park as well. That's the one I'm still waiting on to see if he's actually going to be in that movie. He gosh darn should be how that movie ended, but fingers crossed for some more Randall Park. Speaking of Randall Park, if you want to see Tiana Paris, Go watch WandaVision and eventually the Marvels. I'm just throwing it out there. Pulling random things from other horror movies, I feel like they did to Coleman Domingo the same thing they did with Haluk Bilganar in the Halloween Revival trilogy from 2018. Someone who seems to be the doomsayer. I mean, in that movie specifically, in Halloween, they for sure made him seem like he'd be the next Loomis, so he's for sure a good, helpful person, not just a doomsayer. You know, normally these characters are described and existing as info spewers you know but here and in halloween in the new Candyman, this character takes a villainous turn like in in this film domingo is clearly the main villain somehow in halloween there is no doubt the issue is always and will always be michael even if that, you know, weird cult tangent happened in, in Halloween 6, I think. So, there's going to be that issue, right? That always exists when you have movies with sequels and the sequel comes out years, decades later. Will it, you know, live up to the original? Honestly, it's probably going to fail most times. In short, 
this felt like another version of that, another proven point that the sequels really rarely surpassed the originals. I was pretty excited for the updated version that had Jordan Peele attached to it. I mean, he has taken the horror genre by storm. I can't wait for Nope with Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and Steven Yeun. It is worth noting that he did not direct this movie, and of course it was a movie in a franchise. The fourth entry of that, even if 2 and 3 have been ignored in this version. Get Out, us were under his directorship, writership, and honestly, you can tell the difference from those two to everything else. Now, if you like the first Candyman movie, yeah, you'll probably like this movie. I feel like we got what we expected, a modern and prettier looking Candyman soft reboot sequel. Technology has obviously improved from 1992 to 2021, no doubt. And the acting of our main three is grand. Of course, I wanted more Tony Todd, a little more Virginia Madsen, and of course, more Vanessa Williams. And bringing up her role in this franchise is important. Now, having just watched the first movie, Finding Williams was back, and being a true IMDb connoisseur, sometimes to my detriment, I quickly discovered that Abdul Mateen II was cast as Anthony McCoy. While that name may not be familiar, the last name should from the franchise, especially with Williams coming back as Anne-Marie McCoy. So I may have made this movie worse for myself discovering something that the movie went out of its way to hide for a large portion of the film. They were coy with his mom calling and not saying her name, not mentioning his full name for a while, just Tony, Anthony, much less his last name. In the same way that, you know, trailer spoiler a moment in the Kingsman movie that would have been super emotional and amazing in the sequel. Uh, Colin, first character, is back and he died in the first one. And there's this moment where it clearly looks like it's memorializing him and as a viewer, you'd feel emotionally attached to it more if you knew that his character wasn't going to be, a, you know, back and it would have been a surprise seeing him back. But all the marketing material made you know he was going to be back. So that emotional moment felt like, Wow, I could see where this would have been really good if I didn't know this guy was back. Now, this version, this sequel, I have to take a little blame for it, for looking on IDB to figure out his name, because I think it would have been really cool this movie in this moment, knowing that our lead is actually Anthony McCoy. His mom was Anne-Marie McCoy from the first one, who had this in-person interaction with Helen, and Vanessa Williams is barely in this movie, unfortunately. And I get it, it's to start the new cast, the new main group of players, you know, that's fine. And the same way that Tony Todd's barely here, but, you know, paying homage to the source material, which I think they did in the elements around the movie and the theme of the movie, it felt like they didn't really do it with their characters in the same way that I feel like we're kind of waiting for that to happen with, you know, maybe the sixth movie in the Jurassic Park franchise, the third of the new trilogy, which is supposed to bring back... Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, and Laura Dern, maybe that moment will finally happen. We got a little Jeff Goldblum in one, but hopefully the three of them are, you know, somewhat integral to the movie and not just there to exist. Where I feel like our returning characters to Candyman kind of here is fan service and less on the story. In the new Halloween movies, yes, you have characters that are clearly important, but there's no doubt that Laurie Strode is the main character and there's no doubt that Michael Myers is the main villain like other characters exist no doubt but you know where your 
your meat and gravy is or whatever this egg is you know where it is and you know this franchise should know that tony todd is the meat and gravy of the franchise so speaking of things on the franchise that are unfortunately in this case crucial to it if you don't like the bug thing from the first one you won't like it here i will also put this there i don't much like self-body mutilation stuff heck i don't even like the look of freddy krueger and the skin burn thing so the whole bees skin thing in this movie didn't even like it in the first one i mean you all heard my take on how eyeball horror stuff is gross well not as much eyeball stuff here instead there were some super gross skin things here and you know they made that like look super vivid with that 2021 technology you know the growth in makeup and special effects peeling off fingernails and skin is super not for me i swear i like horror things but some of the elements of this franchise are not for me i mean i will super never in a million years ever be into the saw franchise and i mean ever (laughs) jeez i mm, so many feelings about that gosh darn franchise (sighs) oh anyway the first movie was a slow burn of a horror movie and i can do and dig slow burns you don't need fatalities all over the place this isn't mortal combat you don't need the entire length of the franchise to have dead body parts flying all over the place and small intestines littering every corner of the screen having a crazy atmosphere of horror and unease throughout was one of my favorite parts of the first movie as well as saying that these actors and jordan peele helped craft the atmosphere really was so good here in this latest century and if you want something this movie did better if you want a little more slasher fare you get something really good here. The kills and gore are for sure better. And that is something that has really done well. The art show kills, the after hours were bloody and amazing. The mirror work and the appearing and disappearing of Candyman kills were super fun to watch and super cool and interesting. I think the bathroom scene and the art critic scene, same thing. All those kills were shot and done up in super fun and unique ways that were visually really exciting like seeing a panning shot kind of in the air coming away from the window of the art gallery person as her face like drags across the window as she's you can't see what's killing her but you know what is oh oh it was the cinema person to me was so about it some humor was here too something that really wasn't present in the first movie like at all there may have been a joke or two in the entire 130 but that's it and also i do like that both these movies kind of kept to that 130 window i think this one could have used a little more time but i really do think the first one more props to the first one for having a really crisp like 130 timeline and that got me into just enough time to watch the first one before i watch the fourth one so don't get it twisted i enjoy parts of this movie a lot as much as i enjoyed the academic setup you know from the first movie It became, you know, white person comes on down to do something and gets caught up, gaslit, and dies. And Tony Todd kills a few people and a dog and sometimes flies around. But I do like this setup honestly better. The artist angle, while may feel a little played out and done a few times over of an artist losing their way into their work and eventual madness. I think it was just more engaging and exciting, especially with that character being more tied to the region than Virginia Madsen feeling the need to come into this area. 
The first one had potential, but it became less about psychology than I would have wanted. I needed a more deeper dive into that area. Here's my main issue with 2021's Candyman. The Candyman killings were great here. There is this question of, you know, if Anthony did it, much in the same way that we wondered if Helen did it in the first movie. So that's all fine. Cancels out. But my big issue, besides the decaying of Anthony and how gross it looks, the big issue I have is like the diminishing of the power of Candyman by giving Domingo's character so much power over the newest Candyman. The end really pissed me off. Anthony McCoy, now all bee stung up, is like caught in a trance. And it never really explained how this happened outside of a bee sting in the beginning that devolved him into this monstrosity. You gotta love the callback of him running around taking photos like Helen did to start the first movie off. But Coleman Domingo, once again, who I love, is able to make his own narrative, and this whole thing feels more like his master plan and Candyman just exists around that. I mean, having McCoy get his arm chopped off and a hook jabbed in, all kind of seems to suit Coleman Domingo's character's Burke and his laundry thing. It all suits Burke's narrative. It nerfs the amazingly strong character and it really pissed me off now this did lead to something i really enjoyed with tayana paris's character brianna cartwright being reunited with mccoy the police come down to kill the Candyman killer and repeat history which apparently was burke's plan all along why well, don't get that build up and eventual conclusion of cartwright getting you know arrested for no reason and this made up fake Candyman gets murdered by the cops busting in and apparently that was Burke's plan I just I don't get how that's his plan and it works like I kind of get it but his character was fun for a time but the end goal was incredibly confusing his master plan felt just kind of strange and goofy but this led to this final moment where you know, Brianna Cartwright is, for the most part, pretty against saying the name in the mirror. Then she's part she almost does before she gets, like, the mirrors get broken and uh, it just doesn't happen. But when she finally says his name four times, I think, in this cop's rearview mirror, I think he said the last one. I think I was counting it and I think that's what happened. This also raises that question of the rules, obviously. <laughs> but seeing our new Candyman kill all the cops following... You know, his reflection is changing from every different Candyman ever. I did enjoy that new historic angle. Also, like, our newest Candyman did still have some notion of his memory to let Brianna Cartwright come alive and be alive and not kill her off. Everything always comes down to feeling just like Pirates of the Caribbean 3, which weirdly I've brought up more than I would have anticipated. You know, with Will dying but living eternal with his Dutchman duties. It kind of feels like, that's sort of where Anthony McCoy is now. His duties are the Candyman. Maybe there'll be more of a justice angle to it. I, I don't actually know if that's how it is. It kind of felt like that way to me. It is also in the final moment we get a clear look at Tony Todd and more flying. Every time he flies or hovers, the character of Candyman, I'm incredibly happy. Even if that one was goofy where he flew out of the window backwards, seemingly just backwards cannonballing. So... While the eventual end and the themes of misunderstood violence and the racial tones and being, you know, the cause of Candyman's existence, the themes are really good. There's just something missing here. Maybe not missing, but I just don't love the self-mutilation and bug things. And at the end of the day, this character, even though I am really all about Tony Todd as the character as Candyman, 
just has rules that make it seem so easy to avoid. Just straight up don't say his name five times in a mirror. Most horror movie setups are easy enough to avoid. Don't go to the camp in New Jersey. Don't live or be raised on that one street. Don't live in Alaska during that one time with 30 straight days a night. Or just don't live in Illinois. But this one feels so easy to avoid, it's ridiculous. As cool as many parts are for the overall franchise, well, at least you know the first and fourth movies, I can't speak to those middle movies yet. So you can probably guess where I'm going, but let's do some rankings and letterbox ratings for the first and last Candyman movies. What you expected, Candyman 2021 is going to come in at number two. Number one is going to be Candyman from 1992. Here's how I did the ratings. I gave Candyman 3 out of 5 stars. Still respectable. Still good. I enjoyed it for what it was. Maybe just the bug thing and the some of the skin things. Maybe not for me. Maybe part of me felt like the first one did it better. And that is going to be the case a lot of times. Look, I enjoy the Matrix franchise a lot. I know the first one's the best. The second one's the second best. And the third one's the third best. I hope the fourth one breaks that. I hope the fourth one says more time in the Matrix means better movie, but only time will tell. I don't have any real massive issues with Candyman that aren't personal, excluding, of course, the fact that the end was just not right. It, it Something was wrong with the end, where at least Candyman, the first one, you really knew this was the, the villain, the bad guy, everything was great. You were He was terrifying. Tony Todd's character was terrifying. I didn't necessarily love seeing someone turn into it. I liked the deep franchise connection. It looked really clean. I liked a lot of the, the gore kill parts. The first one's just better. And that's, I guess, really all I can say. The, if, they, if they could have found a way to combine the good of the first one and the good of this fourth one, they could have made something really good, but fourth one got close it just wasn't as good in the end so that was the first and last of the Candyman movies for now but for reals one of these days I will get into the weird middle movies in Prom Night, Carrie, and Candyman just to see if any of the other entries in the franchise are redeemable at all or if they're all just as bad as I assume they are. But what did you think of the latest Candyman? And how do you think it stacks up to the original? Hit me up on social at either Nick Movies or Nick underscore RC on Twitter, TikTok, Letterboxd, and Instagram. So cheers and until next time, cinephiles. Are you not entertained? I think this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I don't like goodbyes. Let's just call this see you later, alligator.